I was, a few moments ago, I was helping someone in my family um, find the passage that we're working on this morning and said, we'll be here and we're going to start in this verse and we're going to go down to this verse. And the response was, it's interesting how we have only this many verses, but an hour-long sermon. (laughs) So... It is rather interesting. Um, But in all seriousness, there is no better way to begin our week on this Lord's Day, in any given week, but what a privilege it is to be at such a text, to be able to begin our week feasting upon the Lord's table. We have spoken often in the last week, of which we don't constantly need to rehearse, but I know you as a church family and we as your pastors as well, together all of us have spoken often of heaven in the last few days, and we have spoken often of the presence of God in Christ, the presence that we so badly need and crave. We have prayed often, and I know all of us have prayed for the Spirit to give strength to our weaknesses, to uphold us in our present hurt and struggle. No matter what struggle or hurt you're in, this pilgrim's journey is filled with peril, hardship, and hurt. And we have asked, I know each of us have asked and spent time asking that the Spirit would empower our steps moving forward. As a church family, individually. But the the challenge, I feel, in my own heart, and I, and I know that it's a universal appeal because of the presence of the table, is that as often as we speak of heaven, the presence of God and Christ in our life, the need for the Spirit to empower and give wisdom and aid to our weaknesses, that as we pray, as we ask, heaven and salvation, indeed even redemption and the thought of forgiveness of sins can become abstract because of our weakness. It can become an idea that is hard to embrace. It can become platitudes that even as we say them, we feel they lack force to empower someone else, even to empower ourselves. And so I want us to spend just a few moments in this text before we observe this table to see that Christ has provided our weakness, us, human beings. He has provided a physical element to eliminate redemption as a mere abstract. It is as if he says to us, or in the picture of the doubting Thomas, That the truth of salvation is no more abstract than is this very real bread and this very real wine. You see, if you will, quickly, turn over to the end of John's Gospel. Turn just quickly, just briefly. Um, 
to the end of John's gospel, because we use this phrase often, a doubting Thomas, a doubting Thomas. He's a doubting Thomas. Well, you're rather a doubting Thomas. But, but we are, all of us, a doubting Thomas in our inner man. At times, If you're there in chapter 20 of John's Gospel, I want to begin reading in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Do you see? Our weakness. That's so many turmoil, so many challenges, so many hardships are used to clout our judgment, to drift us away from the Lord, to make heaven, redemption, the idea, totally abstract. And our Lord knows that we are but dust, and he knows that we are weak and needy. So also, verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas, he was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, come here, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand. And place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You see, knowing our inner Thomas our doubts of his presence in very real times of turmoil, our doubts of his love in the face of tragedy, our constant distraction with the mundane. And that's an important piece here. We can speak of uh, of tragic event and think, yes, we can see how doubt doubt could arise, how hardship and love can wane and, and, and the hardship can crush down that spirit. But then think of the mundane. It's just as deadly. It's much slower and hard to recognize, but it's just as deadly. Our constant distraction with everything but Christ. And it is in this place of our clay, in our weakness, and he says here in this text to his disciples of weakness, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. I know you need it, and I desire to eat it with you. Look at our text in Luke, and I I want you to see just the the love of our Lord in the institution, the fulfillment of Passover, the institution of his supper, of which we will partake in just a few moments. Look at verse 14 of Luke 22. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, 
his compassion, and his mercy. He's fulfilling the Passover meal, of which we'll get to and we'll explain just momentarily. But he is earnest in his desire to nourish the faith of his people. Just notice how often he says, this meal is for you. Just where I read for you in verse 15, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Look at the end of verse 17. Take this and divide it among yourselves. Look at verse 19 at the end. This is my body which is given for you. And then yet again in verse 20, this cup that is poured out is poured out for you. Do you see the direction of the meal, the direction of the nourishment, the direction of his presence? This is for you. So what is the meal of what we'll elaborate on just for a few moments, but quite simply, as you see, it is a reminder of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. It is that peace that eliminates the abstract and emboldens our senses to taste and see that the Lord is good. This meal assures us. Do you see it in there? It's for you. I want to eat with you. Take this and divide it among yourselves. This is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's for you. What's it doing but assuring me? That all that Christ did in his life and all that he did in his death and the accomplishment of his resurrection was done for me. Notice again, he reinforces, it's not for me. It's for you. Notice how, look at the text again. I'll read for you 14, 15, then we'll go straight through 16 through 18, and you'll see. Look at the direction of the nourishment. The institution of the meal. It's for you, believer. Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, and and he took a cup, and and this is the Passover meal. So you're looking at the first kind of portion, because you see the series there. Maybe you've looked at the text and thought, why is there a cup, and then there's bread, and then there's a cup? Are we supposed to be doing a cup, and then some bread, and then a cup? Here, here, again, you're you're seeing a transition. At the top half, you're looking at the place of Passover. I want to eat this Passover meal, this observance, and what it foreshadows with you. That's why I want to eat it with you before I suffer, because I'm the Passover lamb. Who's going to go and suffer and fulfill it? And I'm going to leave you with nourishment to never forget it. That's the sequence of the Passover. I want to eat this with you before I fulfill it. And then I want you to never forget it. 
I won't eat of it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You will. You must. Notice, for I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Again, verse 18, For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. You see, we're given two things in the timing. As I said, there's fulfillment, and then there's the remaining ongoing nourishment of this table here. And that is, we are given the instructions, and the fact that our Lord is saying, I will not eat of it again, implies that you will eat of it again and again and again until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God is near. You need it. And I trust that you've come this morning with an empty cup, expectant, as Dan said earlier, to have it filled. This is the place of nourishment. This is the table of nourishment to the weakness of your faith. It's abstract. Here's your bread. Taste and see. Did he die for me? Was his blood shed for me? Sip on this wine through faith and be nourished upon the bread of life. I won't eat it again until it's fulfilled, which implies you will. We see it take its liturgical form in 1 Corinthians, of which we'll look at just briefly when we move to the institution of the supper time together. You see where Paul uses that. And the night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And having given thanks, he said, take this, do this in remembrance of me. This liturgical form in the church is established after this evening because it's clear this meal is to be a perpetual observance in the life of the pilgrim all the days of his life. But also notice, not only is it going to be perpetual for us, but we are also given a picture of the future. Look at verse 16 again. For I will not eat of it until, well, notice, he will eat of it again. Do you see the text in verse 16? There's a consummation coming where we will enjoy this meal together. I won't. I'm going to ascend, and I will not observe this meal. But you pilgrims, you must observe it. You must taste and see. One day, the pilgrim's journey will end. Consummation will come, and this kingdom will be established for eternity. And we, together, will sit and banquet in the age of fulfillment. This is a pilgrim's journey taste of a banquet that is coming, of celebration. Turn over to uh, Revelation. Just, I want to read the text just so you can see when he's hinting here at what we are given in John's Revelation. Turn to the last book in your Bible, Revelation. Look at uh, chapter 19, please, just for a moment. This is where the text is going. By the time we get to John's revelation, here is the revelation of the meal. Sorry. If you're there in Revelation 19, again, remembering what he's telling us in Luke, I'm not going to eat of it again 
until consummation. But you eat of it perpetually so that you never forget the promises I've given you in the gospel. Verse 6 is that day of consummation of chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, you know, like the kind of thing you could never miss. Your senses are overwhelmed at the noise. And I heard them crying out, and this is what they said. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You see, this is back in Luke, what our Lord is speaking of. I will not eat of this meal again, but you will and you must. For in your pilgrim's journey, I am providing you, believer, a promissory reminder of my present faithfulness in your hardship. I am not gone. I am here. And I am with you. But it seems no look, touch, taste, smell, see it. Let your faith be nourished on this morsel of bread. Break it. Take it. It's broken for you. I won't eat it again until we eat it together. But you will and you must. It is a promissory reminder of his present faithfulness and hardship and of the future consummation glory that we will banquet with him in heaven. In a similar text, a similar situation, as John's gospel is winding its way down. In chapter 16, verse 33, we don't have time to turn there, but let me just read for you. Listen to what he speaks to the disciples in a similar context. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You see? I mean, everyone knows that, right? By experience. Right? In this world, you and I will have tribulation. We will be greatly distressed. We had but a a dose of that recently. Great distress and tribulation. In this world, you will have it. But I said these things when I was with you so that you might have peace. Like, wait, how do I have peace in tribulation? The end of the text concludes this way. Take heart in tribulation. For I have overcome the world. A 
Again, whether it's this week in particular, or it's days in the future, whether it is tragic or it is being lulled to sleep in the mundane, in our pilgrim's journey and throughout our days, we will struggle to remember that he indeed is with us. He is for us. He has overcome death. He has ascended, and he is returning. We will be sought by everything from the devil, the flesh, and the world to no longer embrace that, to no longer see it, to no longer sense it. And so he says in verse 19 of Luke 22, so do this in remembrance of me. Now, as I mentioned, there are two meals taking place in this text. There is the completion of the Passover. If we can, just briefly, I I, I promise to do my best to read quickly. If we could please go to Exodus 12, just for a brief moment. I'm going to read. I will keep the commentary to a minimum. As you know, I'm rather verbose on my commentary at times. I'll try to read the passage so that you can see the fulfillment that is at hand in Luke 22, so that you have a sense whether you're acquainted with the theology and the, and the institutions of the Passover or not. This is what's being celebrated in Luke 22 on that Monday, Thursday. Um, from the leading up chapters, you recall the plagues that were sent to Egypt because Egypt would not release God's people who are Israel. He would not release them. Uh, Pharaoh would not. So God sent these series of plagues, and then he is coming now to tell them, your deliverance is nigh. I'm going to draw you out. I'm going to draw you out, and this is how we're going to do it. Now, this entire event is a foreshadowing event of salvation and redemption. We, the people of God here, have been set free from our Pharaoh. Perhaps it's not, again, a a, a ruler, a a ruler of this age, over which is through the governmental institution of which we are slaved. We have a greater foe yet, sin and slavery and bondage to death. We have been delivered, of which this forecasts. If I could read for you Exodus 12, I'll begin in verse... um, uh, Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the, of the year for you. Tell all the congregation, that is the church of Israel, that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the church of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat of the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. They shall eat of it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. 
its head with its legs and inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. How earnestly I desire to eat this Passover with you. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Oh, how earnestly I desire to eat this Passover with you. It is for you. I won't eat it again until we eat it together. And no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Now, if you would, go forward to Luke chapter 9. We are moving from the Passover that was instituted in Israel in the Old Testament ceremony, which the blood clearly put upon the doorpost signaled a blood that shed for the people, whereby God's judgment passed over them in the presence of blood that was shed. If you're in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, what's interesting here is the choice of words that Luke is using to describe our Lord's life and ministry. Beginning in verse 28 in the Transfiguration. Verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses was there, and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and they spoke. The three of them, Moses, who symbolizes all the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, Moses, the law of Moses to the people of God to the congregation of Israel, to the church of Christ. Moses, and then Elijah, who summarizes all of the prophets. Moses is there, the law. Elijah is there, the prophets. And they spoke about what? If you notice carefully there, the entire Old Testament spoke of his departure. Do you know what the term there is translated departure? Exodus. They spoke of Jesus' exodus event. 
just to be clear, what do we mean by that? Look at, as Luke concludes, the exodus which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You see, our Lord here then, in Luke 22, is completing what Luke has told us chapter after chapter he has come to do. And that is to be the Passover lamb for his people. It would no longer be a blood of a lamb that would be smeared upon a doorpost, but it would be Emmanuel's blood that would cover over his people, saving them from wrath. But then notice the second portion is the institution of the Lord's Supper. So he fulfills the exodus for his people. He fulfills the Passover meal. But the next portion is the institution and the forward-looking of what we're here to do this morning. And that is beginning in verse 20. You see, uh, we can begin in verse 19. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, not a lamb's body. It is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. Lay hold of it. Verse 20, and likewise the cup, after they had eaten the bread, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant or the new testament in my blood. So this institution that our Lord is giving of the new covenant meal or the new testament among his people is God's grace shed abroad in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer an age of shadows. No longer an age of types. We squarely stand in the accomplishments of the man, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God the king of Israel. This is established for you in my blood. There are two signs which are given, which are perpetual reminders. And if you're a believer among us this morning, you know what they are. We see them each time we gather for Lord's Day uh, to observe the Lord's Supper. And they are the bread and the wine. The bread, which is very clear, will rehearse just for a moment in verse 19, as we have just read. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, his people, saying, this is my body, and it's broken for you. The second beyond the bread, which symbolizes his body, is the wine, which is what we have read about just recently from Exodus. It is his blood that is shed to cover and atone for the sins of his people. There are simply two things I want you to recall as we move to the time of the Lord's table here in a moment. Two things we must never surrender and we must never forget about the institution of this supper. First, is that his death is substitutionary. In my place, condemned he stood. 
It is his blood for yours. You see, when we eat that morsel and we drink that cup, we were the ones worthy of judgment. And he says to you in that moment, eat this. It's my body for yours. The death of Christ is substitutionary. Secondly, since it is substitutionary, it is deeply personal. It isn't that he did this for people. I come and I take this morsel and I take this cup and I hear the promise read to me of the institution and I eat it through faith in receiving it. Not that he died for someone and his body was broken for someone. I hear the Lord, my Savior, say to me, it was broken for you, Adam. And my cup was poured out for you. He's not our Savior alone. He is my Savior. For I am the guilty party. So it is we've sang before, but I just want to call to remembrance these words. Bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place condemned he stood. Do this in remembrance. Don't forget it. Don't forget what? I sealed your pardon with my blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Just once again, I want to eat this meal with you. Shared among yourselves. This is my body broken for you, not me. And this is my cup that is given for you. Not me. For he took up and laid down his life, not for his advantage, but for ours. Let your faith be nourished. Eat and feast through faith. That body was for me. And that cup was for me. And we'll eat it again in consummation. Let's pray.